0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit christcitychurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Hi guys, Um, today's reading is from 1 Peter 3, verse 8 to chapter 4 to 6. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insults with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because this to you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to the prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear the threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, for the unrighteousness, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and he made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient a long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, 18 and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, but not in the removal of dirt from the body, but in the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Therefore, They are surprised that you did not join them in their reckless, reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse at you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And I'm going to pray for Steve as it comes up. God, I thank you for your word that is living and breathing in our lives. I pray that you open our hearts to hear what Steve has to give us today that comes from you, and I pray that you bless us today. In and name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Mimi. A long reading. Well done. Uh, welcome, everyone, again. Nice to be with you. And uh, you may have found a book on your chair, and if it wasn't, there's some spare ones. This is for you to take away. It's a little book that is based on part of the verses in 1 Peter, and it kind of captures a lot of our series of what we're looking at and how to live without fear in a culture that is increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. So, do take that away, and I hope it's helpful for you. Um, this is now too high. I wonder when you uh, first became aware of it. Was it some words that were used? Was it uh, a moment where you were suddenly une- uneasy? about a situation, where were you, who were you with, how did it feel, it comes to all of us, the comments, the glances, the sniggers, it's one of the earliest memories I think we probably all have, it's not pleasant, typically it starts in the playground, but it will go on to the day you die, we all have to face it, what am I talking about, peer pressure, we all know what peer pressure is there's a bigger group and they control things typically the bigger group is controlled by a leader and the leader lets everyone know that the norms and what's supposed to happen for everyone else to conform to and many people just want an easier life so they go Do you know what if that's what he or she wants I'll just buy in because I don't want any grief and I want to belong being part of the bigger group gives you that sense of belonging and identity and then there's a smaller group and in its worst case, a solitary individual. And this person won't just buy in. And they won't just tow the party line. And they won't just accept what's going on. And because of that, they are shunned. They're made to feel small. And if they, if they don't join in or if they join in but they kind of do it awkwardly because they're the outsider, they get jeered at, mocked, made to feel small. It starts with verbal abuse. It becomes social ostracism. At worst, it's physical beatings and humiliations. In previous generations, it was the playground or the office or the neighbourhood, the yard. Now it's online too. Anyone who wants to say anything online that might be slightly different to what the dominant culture says needs to be careful because they're going to be shot at. They're going to be cancelled. They're going to offend someone who's going to come after them. They're going to be wrong according to what the majority at any one time Thinks So it doesn't matter what generation, it doesn't matter what culture, it's always been hard to be in the minority, to not have a group that you belong to. Well, that's the situation that the first century church found themselves in, they were in the minority, and it's the situation that the Western church in the 21st century finds itself in. And the Apostle Peter... Well known throughout all of history for his famous failure to resist peer pressure when his Lord and friend was about to be crucified. Three times he denied him. This Peter, with all his war wounds and all his bruises, is writing to a group of churches scattered throughout the Roman Empire in the mid-60s of the first century. And he's equipping them to face peer pressure He's equipping them to be different, to be the odd ones out. He's equipping them to face hostility and suffering, which will come through verbal abuse, social ostracism, and when it reaches its climax, physical torture. Famously, the, the, the key summary verse of the whole letter, if you want to understand the letter of 1 Peter, how do you understand it? It's 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12, and he's comparing the Christians who have converted from from their pagan ways, and he says, you are now aliens and strangers or foreigners and exiles in the world. And do you notice what the majority culture, you may have listened to it as Mimi read it, a few things. Firstly, they accuse you of doing wrong. Those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their what? Slander. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living. And what do they do? They heap abuse on you for being different. These Christians were living for Christ. They were trying to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul and strength. They were trying to love their pagan neighbours as themselves. They were trying to be good Christians. And what happened? Accusations, slander, malicious talk. Lots of uh, abuse was heaped on them. Now, I've just read a brilliant little book that I commend you all called Being the Bad Guys. How to live for Jesus in a world that says you shouldn't by an Australian, Stephen McAlpine. McAlpine traces the recent cultural trends, the new secular creeds, what we must believe if we uh, are to fit in, and how the, the new secular creed is opposed to modern uh, traditional Christian views on the uniqueness of Christ and Christian, you know, traditional views on sexual ethics and, and those kind of topics. And he says, Christians, you can live as good a life as you want. And historically, you might have gone, oh, those Christians, they're weird, but they're kind of nice. Not anymore. Christians, you're weird and you're dangerous because of the views you hold. you are the bad guys now, according to our culture. That's the thesis That's what happened in the first century. It's increasingly happening in the 21st century as there's a liberal, secular agenda push, particularly in places like uh, the academy and media. I imagine those small communities of Jesus followers scattered around modern-day Turkey where they were unrolling the scroll that Peter had written his letter on. You know, they, they got given this letter by Silas, probably. We'll read that at the end. And, and Silas hands them the letter and says, this is what the apostle Peter's written to you. And they're, they're unreading this. You know, They're going, well, what's, what's he got to say to us as a group of churches? And this letter goes around. Well, then Silas probably goes and takes it around the churches. And they unroll it. And, and they think, are we doing something wrong as Christians? Are we we sinning in some way? Are we being disobedient? I mean, life is so hard. Have we missed the grace of God somehow? Why is the Christian life? we must have missed the grace of God. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it Peter says no no this is the normal Christian life being in the minority being the odd one out facing peer pressure losing your life to gain your life suffering now knowing that glory is later this is the true grace of God and I want you to stand in it and not be intimidated so what does Peter do to equip these Christians to stand fast in this grace of suffering now and glory later he says three things Don't be deflected from love, verses 8 to 14. Don't be afraid to speak, verses 14 and 22. And don't be intimidated into sin, chapter 4, 1 to 6. Now, to give credit where credit's due, I heard the outline of this talk by a man called Vaughan Roberts at the Irish Preachers Conference a number of years ago. So, being a Christian and in an increasingly hostile culture... Firstly, don't be deflected from love. Love becomes even more important when you're under pressure. As pressure builds outside the church, as opposition comes from the world around us, it's easy for tensions and divisions to arise within the church. It's one of Satan's great tactics for bitterness and unforgiveness to get a foothold in the church community. At the end of the letter, Peter says this, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. When there's pressure from the world outside, the devil is prowling, going, I wonder who's weak that I can prey on. Where might there be a weakness? I can condemn them. I can spread doubt about the goodness of God, about their value. You Christians are pathetic. You haven't got a chance. You're not making any impact. You're hopeless. No one cares anymore. Move on, give up. hear that voice? He's prowling. Pressure outside. And then there's a voice. You can never. You're hopeless. He loves to prey on us when we're under pressure. We must resist him. But how else does... The devil prey on Christians, yes, through condemnation, yes, through spreading doubt, but also through self-pity. He gets a foothold when our anger or sadness turns into bitterness. The evil one is never happier when he's made us adopt the victim mentality, where we wallow in self-pity. We find reasons to justify our lack of love. Well, you know, if you knew what I've been through, there's a reason why I don't love that person. I don't forgive them as if we. we've we've given the devil a foothold. And therefore, we keep ourselves to ourselves, we distance ourselves from someone in the church or from the church family, and we start to drift. We're being picked on by the evil one. We're under pressure. The devil's trying to pray. We need to love more than ever. It's never been easier to drift from church community than in COVID. Never been easier. We've got to be careful. We need to love. We need to resist Stand firm in the faith. So Peter says, firstly, love your brothers and sisters. Verse 8, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. So have sympathy towards one another in our struggles, in our COVID struggles. Love one another when someone messes up. Love someone when they adopt the victim mentality and you want to shake them and go, no, no, keep loving them. Be compassionate and humble when someone lets you down with a careless word, when you feel let down. Give each other the benefit of the doubt more often. Let's love each other enough when we're hurt to just overlook the sin and forgive them if we're able and if we're not able to graciously, maturely and truthfully bring up the hurt so the issue can be dealt with and the hurt can do no more damage and forgiveness and reconciliation can be made, can be found. Love is important under pressure. Let's not stop loving the brothers and sisters in Christ's city church. Secondly, love your enemy, verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so you may inherit a a blessing. Echoing Jesus' own example from the cross and from his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Peter counsels, when you are treated, when someone treats you in an evil way, it's a non-retaliatory, non-violent response is what the Christian Must offer in reply. Satan would love nothing more for us to respond in kind and to retaliate and get sucked in. And that's why Peter quotes, if you noticed, Psalm 34, he quotes it at length verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 34. What's the context of that psalm? David is on the run. He's in exile. He's a minority. Who's the majority? Saul, King Saul on the throne, who's very jealous of David and wants to kill David. And Saul has all the armies and all the power. And David, therefore, has to run. Even though Saul is currently the king on the throne, David is actually the king anointed by God. So you have the king on the throne and the king on the run. And the presence of God is departed from Saul and it's his anointing has come to David, but David's in the minority, on the run. And do you remember twice, if you know the story from 1 Samuel? Twice he finds Saul unsuspecting, doesn't he? Twice he could have got him back. Twice he could have killed him. Twice he could have smited him. He said, well, look, I'm the anointed one. I'm the chosen one. And I've done nothing wrong, but I've defeated Goliath and I've served you and I've soothed you with my harp. And why are you attacking me? And the devil would have got a foothold. He would have repaid insult with insult, evil with evil. But David says, far be it from me to touch the Lord's anointed. It is for God to bring him down in his time. My job is to repay insult with blessing. And that is what David does. And if you read Psalm 34, it is so optimistic. It is so positive. You know, he's saying, glorify the Lord with me. I'll exalt the Lord at all times. And at one point in the psalm, he says... um, Those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. And you think, wait, wait, you're on the run. You have no friends. You're living in a cave. You've got the armies with Saul pursuing you, and you can say you lack no good thing. Your life is in danger. How? David had learnt a fear of the Lord. It had driven out fear of man, but it had also filled his heart with everything that could be truly and eternally good his relationship with God. And so David in the psalm is basically saying, I have no regrets. I have no regrets. What a thing to be able to say when you're the victim of evil. I have no regrets in how I responded. I never responded in kind. I never offered a harsh word. I never retaliated. My conscience is clear. I have no regrets Love is important under pressure. Let's not stop loving the brothers and sisters in the church, but let's never give in to the temptation to respond in kind, to repay evil with evil, insult with insult. So under pressure in a hostile world, don't be deflected from love, whether inside the church or outside the church. Secondly, don't be afraid to speak. Now, if you are with us a few weeks ago, I looked at this passage in detail, so I'll, I'll, go, I'll go briefly, and I encourage you to read this book, which is all about the two verses, really. But do you remember what we were saying? When the dominant culture is hostile to you, you have a few options as Christians in how to respond to the culture in terms of whether you're going to speak about Jesus and answer questions. The first option is to retreat from the culture and form a holy huddle just of Christian friends who will never ask you anything challenging because they believe everything you believe. That's one way of avoiding any hostility in the culture. Don't really get to know anyone who's different from you. A second option, remember we said, was to assimilate to the culture and go, okay, I'll just buy into the secular creeds. You know, I'll just go along with what everyone says. I won't say anything different if someone asks me my view. And I'll just assimilate their values, their lifestyle. I'll jump in. No one's going to ask you any questions if you do what everyone else does. Now, this passage has made me realize there's actually a third way to falsely engage with culture as a Christian Christian to be hostile towards the culture. That's the option I'd never seen until I read this passage. And sadly, too many Christians, and you see this online, are adopting this posture. As the culture gets more liberal and secular, they don't assimilate into the culture, they don't retreat from the culture, they attack. In refusing to be intimidated by modern culture and its secular creeds, this type of person responds in kind with angry aggression using the same weapons of the world, insults, shame, hate, name-calling, power games, and it only damages the name of Christ. And that's why he says, when you answer questions, what do you do it with? Gentleness and respect, not any anger or desire to win. Katie looked at this last year, last year she may have done, last week in chapter 2, when we consider our earthly authorities, You know, our human bosses in the workplace or our our government authorities or any other authorities that are instituted by the Lord on earth, regardless of how they treat the church and treat you as a Christian, Christians are called to respect them, to serve them, to submit to them, and if needs be, to suffer unjustly under them. We follow a suffering Messiah who did not retaliate, who shamed no one, who made no threats. And when his enemies killed him, he cried, Father, Forgive them. These are not easy things, brothers and sisters. Assimilate, retreat, act with hostility. What are we actually called to? To be resident aliens and servants of all. We're to be resident in the culture, getting to know the culture, understanding the culture, making friends with people that have very different beliefs from us, but we're also to be aliens, to keep our distinctive as Christians in our values and our lifestyle. Jeremiah called the believers in pagan Babylon. They'd been taken into exile. Jeremiah chapter 29 says they'd been forcibly removed from Israel into Babylon, the anti-God city, which did not believe anything about Yahweh, did not adopt the Jewish ways of life. They were anti anti all that. They had their own values, their own culture. Jeremiah says, what, assimilate to that culture? No, no. Retreat from that culture and just be your own people? No, no. Attack that culture? No, no, no. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. Even though the values, the gods, the beliefs, and the ethics of this city are so different from yours, you're to serve it. How do we do this? Well, we looked at it in detail, but he says In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Don't fear their threats, do not be frightened do not be frightened into retreating, do not be frightened into assimilation, do not be frightened into retaliation, be scared, or it's not quite the word, to fear, just one being, the one who can really harm you, as Jesus said to his disciples, and throw, not just harm your body, but throw your body and soul into hell, here's the one you to fear, and if you fear him, you'll adopt the right culture do you remember david says i have no regrets i never retaliated how he says those who fear the lord like no good thing he had fear of the lord how do we stop being intimidated into into silence the fear of the lord fills our hearts and that we don't fear others this is what will keep us speaking of jesus in a culture that is increasingly going against christian values so don't be deflected from love whether inside or outside the church. Don't be afraid to speak, but speak with gentleness and respect when you do. And thirdly, don't be intimidated into sin. When life is tough, you've been through some suffering, a friend let you down, you got something went wrong in the workplace or a university, when the world feels harsh, You feel a bit beaten up, you're a bit lonely, you're a bit left out. What's the temptation? To give in to sin. Peter said earlier, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, where's the first place we have to wage war? Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Brothers and sisters, our battle is against what? The world, yeah, it can be hostile. The devil, yeah, he prowls. And the sinful flesh, which can really rear its ugly head when you're under pressure, and he unpacks more in verses one to six as he considers the Gentile Christians' previous way of life and calls them to be different from their pagan neighbours. It must have been very hard for these newly converted Gentile Christians to trying to figure out, well, how do I live in this culture and what do I get involved in and what don't I get involved with? And it was really hard for them for two reasons. Firstly, they used to do everything everyone else now does. Verse. Verse three, for you have spent enough time before you were converted to Jesus in, in the past doing things what the pagans chose to do, debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable, idolatry. And secondly, that's so the first thing, well, I used to do this stuff. Am I supposed to now be not doing that stuff? And, and then secondly, my family and friends still do that stuff. Verse four, they are surprised that you do not join them. Like, well, you used to do this kind of stuff. Why don't you just keep doing what we do in our reckless and wild living and whatever else? And they start heaping abuse on you. Maybe you know that. Well, I used to do this kind of thing and a lot of people I know still do or believe this kind of thing. and It's hard, isn't it? So Peter's encouragement, the whole way through one Peter, he says, remember who you are. Who you are affects what you do. Knowing your new identity in Jesus Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather the will of God. You're, you're called to be different. You're now a new person in Jesus. So you're finished with sin. Stop living for the earthly stuff and start living for the will of God. But Peter gives one final exhortation, or I should say with this final exhortation in this passage, he gives one final motivation. Why? Why? Why would I keep living for Christ when it's so hard, when everyone else does this and they get involved in that kind of living and they believe that kind of thing and they put pressure on me and I used to and I've slipped up a few times. It's just okay. And The world thinks it's okay and people think we're so backward these days. Why? Why live a holy life and fight? But they will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. You might feel like an outsider now. You might be left out now. You might face suffering now. But one day, those who rebelled against God and would not humble themselves under his mighty hand will face exactly what you're facing. They will be left out of the new heavens and the new earth. They will be excluded from the city of God. And they will suffer an eternity separated from him. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead. You might feel like you're on the wrong side of history because everyone around you says you are. You're on the right side of history when the final judge comes. Keep living holy lives. Jesus is coming back. The secular creed, which is held up as the gospel for today, just do what you feel love is love. Don't let anyone else tell you what's right and wrong. How dare you say there's other standards in this area? You feel the pressure. You go, oh, I just keep my mouth shut. Or I'll just buy into it. No, no, no. The final judge will return and everyone will have to give an account. Again, what is it? A fear of Christ will drive out fear of man and help you to live a holy life. So how are we to live as aliens and strangers? How are we to live for Jesus in a world that's increasingly hostile? Don't be deflected from love. Inside the church, outside the church. Fear God, not man. Don't be afraid to speak. But when you do speak, be gentle and respectful. Fear God, not man. And don't be intimidated into sin. Love Christ more your new identity in him, let that shape who you are. Fear God, not man. Now as I was preparing this talk, I could think of areas when under pressure I've been deflected from love, inside and outside, my words. I know many times when I've been afraid to speak for Jesus, it's just been felt too hard to stand up for him. And I know when I've been intimidated into sin and I've given in to the flesh, So we again remember the one that wrote the book, the letter. It's Peter. Peter failed to love Jesus, didn't he? And he failed to love the brothers and sisters when it mattered. Peter was definitely afraid to speak. And Peter sinned. He was a coward. And yet he is so free in Christ after all those mistakes. And he's been so filled with the spirit of Jesus without any fear like david in the psalm 35 i've got no regret i've recorded. i mean of course he regretted in that sense but he's been freed from any guilt because of jesus he was restored he was reinstated by christ he's fearless in the face of man he's free from his sin and he's strong to resist peer pressure how because he met jesus afresh and met jesus in his with his in all his love and forgiveness on the beach that day and so we're going to finish. So there's always grace. So, yeah, I want to live for Christ in a hostile world. And I want him to enable me to do that. Father, we thank you for the, the letter of 1 Peter. We thank you for how that it equips us to live as Christians in our, in our world today. And we pray that uh, what we've thought about would do us good. And uh, we pray that we would be those people that are increasingly loving those inside and outside the church that are speaking for you and that are resisting the fleshly temptations because we know you and we fear you and we honor you and we worship you above all else and Lord where we have failed and we we all know in all three areas where we fail we come to your table again realizing we don't enter uh, into your presence we don't come to the table on our merit but through your grace And we receive grace afresh from you. And we ask for that sustaining presence this week. And as I think of the university students going out onto mission this week on campus, sustain them, but sustain us all as we look to live for you in our culture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.